all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 353 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the commercial motor vehicle installment sales episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that according to the Texas Government Finance Code, part of Title IV, which is the Regulation of Interest Loans and Finance Transactions under Subtitle B, Loans, and finance tracks, transactions. It turns out that if you need to know anything about commercial motor vehicle installment sales, you must go to chapter 353. And with that wonderful little bit of Texas finance code knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. Yes, Yo. we are neck deep in tintober <laughs> well that's a much better uh timothy pun than jacko last week yes much better much better well i mean it's timtober because i had my own uh oktoberfest last saturday where you know i sent the invite to all my buddies because the wife was out of town with her girlfriends her gal pals up in joshua tree and i thought you know what let's get the guys together and everybody contribute some of their sausages and potato salads and everybody bring one of those mini kegs and we just have a who doggy who done it who farted, who ate all the sausages, that would be me, Tim Tober Fest. And we can't forget the delicious mustards. Yeah, so that was all in the invite, and only only Jacob showed up. So... <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't get an invite. Uh, I I would have been able to uh, make arrangements. I probably could have come uh, if you'd invited me. But you didn't, so I didn't. Like, you would have actually gotten on a plane or... What, like attended yeah no, if like the if no seriously if if uh you know if there was a decent round trip price i would have grabbed it and could have gone I, I had a four-day weekend well shucks i mean tim toberfest was still fun but having the distraction of other friendly men you know there would have been great to offset the seven to zero astros loss against the new york yankees yeah, but they they pulled it out. They're they're uh, uh as of this evening, uh of course, we are recording on the 15th of October, but um uh for those of you not in the know, uh Astros won. So they're 2-1 right now. True. And I like to say that I think maybe the two-man Timtoberfest had a hand in that spiritual morale cast upon the Astros uh to help them win. Uh, the following evening, and then and then today, I, I think there's uh, some remnants of leftover Tim Tober's spirit that might be floating about New York City to rain upon them at the right moment during tomorrow's Game Four. So, what have you been up to this past week? Well, let's see. So last week we had a four-day week with a four-day weekend, and now we have another four-day week. So that's nice. I'm oh, so you have Indigenous that. Peoples Day off? We do. We do. We have Indigenous Peoples Day off. There's actually a pretty good um, uh, in defense of Columbus 
that I watched earlier this year, um, it by no means exonerates Columbus. It just puts everything that happened historically at the period, uh, during the period of his tenure and beyond into a different light. And, um, and again, please let me stress, it does not, um, you know, it, it does not seek to vindicate him in any way, shape, or form, nor justify him in any way, shape, or form. Just help understand what was actually going on. Because apparently, uh, of, of everything that was horrible and everything, it turns out that Columbus was not as much a part of it as people thought he was. Um, it's kind of, it's really kind of interesting to look at it from this historical lens. Um, I cannot stress enough, not trying to justify, not trying to vindicate. <laughs> um, but I, I do like, I think if there's anything that we could stand to change, it would definitely be giving this Indigenous Peoples Day. I think this would actually be the one that has the best shot of making it into the calendar and landing the new name. That, and I cannot wait because this was supposed to have been coming for the last two or three years now. We're supposed to get Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill, and it's supposed to replace Andrew Jackson. And when the hell is that happening? Because I've been waiting for that for a very long time. So, that was weird. I don't know where that diatribe came from. Sorry, just kind of went down a weird road, and here's where we landed. So you you didn't go see Joker or Gemini Man? No, I did not see either of those. I did go to NASA though for the first <laughs> time ever. I was my what, own are you Gemini a teacher Man. or something. Holy cow! It's entirely possible. No, I'd never been. Okay, so basically, we had this four day weekend. You spent it all in NASA. No, not all in NASA. So my, are you, my, but wait, wh- you, would you rather go to, so if you came to Tim Toberfest, you would have missed out on NASA. That would have been okay, because I could have gone to NASA another weekend. But oh. Tim Toberfest was, I mean, this, like, it's a big deal. Yes, yeah, Tim Tober. It's yeah. such a big deal, one person came. It was very exclusive, you see. That's, <laughs> that's, that's how you spin that. It was very well, exclusive, you see. In, in, in Jake, the, the fellow who ended up coming, um, he said, well, that's just more sausage and beer for us. And normally, maybe 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's great. Now it's like, I don't really know if that's a good thing or not. I don't think I should consume five pounds of sausage in, in one day. Well, I mean, as long as it's not in one sitting... Uh, pretty much. You have the day. You have the day, especially if there's lots of beer being consumed. Helps level out the beer. <sighs> I you have more beer, you need to soak that up. Get the sausage. Helps settle it back down. Keep you coursing through the alcohol. Get more alcohol to work that sausage through. It, they work in pairs, Tim. It's a vicious it's a, cycle. It's, a you... it's not a cycle. It's a system. It's but a it, system. <laughs> but once you throw in the different types of mustards in the potato salad, it becomes a cycle. Wait, okay, or system. Well, yeah. Wait, did you say system and I said cycle? Yeah, you say it's a vicious cycle. I was like, no, it's not a cycle. Ah, it's yes. a system. Yes. You have a system. It's just a system to allow you to drink more beer. To enjoy Tim Toberfest in all of its exclusivity and glory. Do they serve beer at NASA? Can you try space beer? Is there astronaut beer there? Astronaut Oduls, perhaps? 
I, you know, that it is kind of interesting that you bring that up because we, okay, so they have a mock-up of the space shuttle there, right? So you can go and actually kind of see a life-size, you know, a one, a one-to-one scale model of the, uh, of the space shuttle. And they do have the actual 747 that used to transport it around when it wasn't, you know, being launched into space. And so one of the things they showed in the, um, in, in kind of the crew bay area were their lockers. And one of the astronauts lockers, they had put a CD there, uh, to show what they listened to in space. And it, I mean, you want to talk about trying to tell me that they didn't listen to real music. It's like this, you know, very obscure, classical music cd by someone who was making classical stuff and or classical sounding stuff uh in the 90s and the mid 90s and i'm like come on you're trying to tell me they weren't listening to real music back then no 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 no, i think they were so i don't think it's actually out of the realm of possibility that they did have some astronaut oduls um up there they just wouldn't tell you that they did that what else would they secretly consume or enjoy <laughs> up in space that we wouldn't know about i have no idea i will say this that you you do get to see the entire living space so you do actually get to see the facilities as it were and let me tell you it does appear that astronauts get vacuum sealed to their toilets before <laughs> they do anything and these people are tiny Tiny, tiny, tiny. I don't even mean like, you know, because I'm a big dude. No, no. I mean like straight up skinny people were on the space shuttle way back in the day. Um, Because I don't know how they did it otherwise. It was crazy. But I did um, in a more, I guess, movie adjacent scenario i did get to go to the actual mission control which was um, restored recently for the 50th anniversary of the moon landing right so we got to go there and it really is cool i mean you really do get to see some just like it's it, it is truly stepping into a time capsule they have everything restored down to the ashtrays that they put on the backs of the chairs that you know you could use back then and could you actually like, walk around it Okay, so you can't walk down into the physical place where they had the com- the actual computers and stuff, which I thought was kind of a bummer. Like, I realized they wouldn't let you physically touch the stuff, but I figured they would at least let you walk down into the room and then, you know, kind of walk down to the front where the screens are so you can kind of see it from that angle and then walk back up the other side. Because the way it's laid out, you you could rope it that way and then make it so the people could go down there. Um... But no, they only leave, let you sit in the spectator area where, you know, like the dignitaries and the higher ups would come and sit and watch the stuff happening. Um, and I think part of that is because it is mission control. When you go to visit this refurbished mission control is literally directly on top of mission control for ISS today. So they probably don't want people stomping around and walking around up there because then the mission control for ISS wouldn't be able to actually hear anything. And that was one of the things they were like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, you have to be really quiet. You know, there's no talking, moving around, that kind of stuff. But I did get in, I did get to sit in the seat that Queen Elizabeth sat in when she was there. 
And I got to sit in the seats that, um, uh, one of the seats that Ryan Gosling sat in when he was there. So that's cool. Were they fancy seats with fancy cushions? No, no, no. Just, just the same seats, just the same seats as everybody else, but it's just, it happened to be where they sat. Oh, okay. Did you lick the seat? No. Smell? <laughs> I'm not going to go no. down the orifice uh, scent <laughs> path of Queen no. Elizabeth, of course. No. It seems like NASA has received uh, a lot of cool updates since I went when I was like seven or eight years old. Because they do still have like the old shuttles like outside, right? That you can kind of walk up to and inspect relatively closely that are on those like stilts Right, no, that's what whatever. I'm saying. So, okay. So the mock-up of the one-to-one mock-up of the space shuttle that they have is literally a full-sized space shuttle. And you can go inside it. And you can see the cargo bay. You can see the depressurized chamber. You can go level by level and be on the top level where they actually sat to pilot the shuttle. And then you can see the top ends of the cargo bay. Then you can go down a level and actually go into the kind of the quarters that they used. And then actually be in the cargo bay proper. And then you can go down one other level and you will literally be on the 747 that actually transported the space shuttle. And they have really cool exhibit inside the 747 that shows you what all went into making the 747 possible, making it possible for them to be able to transport the shuttle and all the cool stuff that was in there. You actually can see and uh, if you really wanted to, you could even touch like the conference table that they would sit at and stuff and discuss all the flight plans and everything. You can see the ballast that they use to keep everything level for the plane. You could see the, um, the actual reinforced hull areas of the plane that they, that they built. Um, it's, it's really, really quite fascinating. Um, especially if you're even just remotely into space stuff, uh, you, you would go through and definitely have a good time. And just walking those three things, and if you just walk them, will take you about 20, 25 minutes. So, I mean, it's not even like you just go in and go out. You can actually have, you know, fun and take pictures and read a couple of the plaques and uh, really spend a lot of time there if you wanted. Well, cool, man. Did the family enjoy yeah. it? They were off camping. I went on, I went and did this without... They went. They, oh. they went camping. I went to space. Well, I mean, you can space camp. There you go, right? There was a movie, too. Yeah, fun stuff. Anyway, so it sounds like we definitely at least had um, fun and exciting and an interesting weekend, regardless of the exclusivity of it. Hey, we both did duo activities around hey, the same time. That is very true. We both did duo activities. I just swallowed more sausage than you. <laughs> I have no response to that. <laughs> well, uh, should we move on to this news piece uh, from we Deadline.com? We should. We've, I mean, come on. We've run the gamut from Tim Toberfest to Indigenous Peoples Day to Harriet Tubman to NASA to Mission Control, sniffing seats and eating and getting more, swallowing more sausage than other people. And I didn't even talk dates. about Joker and Gemini Man. The hits keep coming with you and I. 
Well, that's good because I want to, um, I have not, I have literally not been able to see Joker yet and I absolutely want to. And I even tried to go see it tonight and it didn't work out. So I, I so I'm glad you haven't had a chance to talk about it yet because when you do, I want to be able to talk about it too. So. And I would, if Gemini Man is playing in the 3D high frame rate at an AMC near you, um, if you have a couple hours, I would recommend checking it out because it's not okay. nearly as bad as what everybody is making it out to be. But I think it's worth watching for the technology aspect. Unlike Billy Lynn's long halftime walk or whatever that movie was called that Ang Lee did where he did the high frame <laughs> right. rate. Yeah. He's actually trying to make a decent movie, and it doesn't really work out 100%, but about 70% of it works out. But cool. yes, in speaking of AMC theaters, I what wanted to bring this way. up. I came across this little article from Deadline.com earlier today. AMC Theaters launches movie streaming service for AMC Stubbs members, written by Dade Hayes. And it was published today, October 15th. And it says this. With its core exhibition business, the subject of heated speculation about the future of release windows and the impact of Netflix on its business, AMC Theaters is responding by launching a streaming service of its own. AMC Theaters On Demand will offer about 2,000 movie titles from distributors, large and small, including releases from all major studios. Investors cheered the news, sending AMC shares up 4% in midday trading to $9.31 a share. The service is only available to members of AMC Stubbs, a free loyalty plan with more than 20 million U.S. households on its rolls. Those members can access the streaming service on amctheaters.com as well as through a range of connected devices and mobile and smart TV apps. Uh, now I'm going to skip down to while the marketplace for transactional video on demand movie rentals and sells is fairly saturated, AMC said it is in a unique position to leverage its number one chain of theaters. And the article continues, major studios have agreed to make new releases and library titles available. New releases will hit AMC theaters on demand at the same time they become available digitally on other platforms following the traditional theatrical window set by each studio for each movie. Another aspect of the announcement is the first cross-platform marketing partnership between AMC theaters and AMC networks. The latter's IFC Films and RLJE Films will supply catalog titles to AMC Theaters On Demand later this year, and in return, AMC Theaters will promote AMC Networks, streaming services, Acorn TV, Shudder, Sundance Now, and UMC. The article goes on from there. End all quotes. What do you think about this, Matt? I have a feeling this will eventually lead to the streaming of brand new, smaller indie films, uh, that you can only find at your landmark theaters out here in the West Coast. We have our Arclight theaters. So a lot of the films that will show at landmarks or the Arclights, there's a good chance they might pop up here on this AMC Theaters On Demand site, uh, which I think okay. would be pretty interesting. Uh, but what do you think about this? I think that the team up and allowing people to get really comfortable with using the with using AMC site to... Um, 
do all things entertainment, right? Now it's not just um, order your movie tickets. It's not just get your popcorn and pick your seats. Uh, it's not just get in with A-list or anything. Now it's like, hey, uh, stream anytime, anywhere. Um, and again, just one more avenue of that data collection and, and that revenue stream. Um, I, I think that's very interesting, and I know that that was something you had kind of talked about there when uh, in the pre-show. So I'll, please, you know, expand on that because I don't want to I don't want to steal your thunder on that. Um, but what is interesting is the idea that they might actually stream movies in in the cinema, um, because that's the one thing that everybody chastises Netflix for. Now, I am certainly not one to. Uh, sniff at the idea to turn my nose up at the idea that something with a very limited release from a small studio that might not otherwise get seen uh it's the idea of it certainly makes sense um because that's at, at its heart that is not what netflix is doing they're doing big prestige pictures they're doing big budget things and then trying to have their cake and eat it too in terms of theatrical release for Oscars and um, still being able to stream. And so I, I believe that there is a distinction there, and it's a fair distinction, but it's a distinction by degrees. And if you... I, I just feel like if AMC goes down that road, it's... It is... It is the slippery slope. It is literally a slippery slope. And then you've just got AMC doing the same thing that Netflix does. Um, so I'm not sure. I, I don't know that it's such a good idea for them to ultimately try and do something like that, to go that far down the path. But what they're doing right now with the IFC partnership through AMC and stuff like that, I, I mean, hey, more power to them. If it gets if it gets the access to things that would not otherwise be seen and it does it in such a way that you are not having to buy into yet another subscription. I don't know. I think it's perfect. I, I mean, it's kind of like Redbox. If you think about it, it's kind of like Redbox, but for, for extreme niche stuff that Redbox probably wouldn't get. Um, because you can stream stuff on Redbox now. But at least through the AM, AMC theaters on demand deal, you actually get like stubs points for it, which is kind that of That is true. Cool. So. If you care about it. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's a really interesting idea. Absolutely. I think it's a really interesting idea. Um, but if they really do go down your speculative road, I mean, man, it'll be interesting to see what happens. When you log in, I'm sure whenever I log in you and, and go to like the movies coming soon, a tab on the app or on the profile there, the AMC Stubbs profile. If we go to coming soon, I'm pretty sure you and I both see the same upcoming titles. We see newer titles. Uh, we also see indie titles. And this was the same issue where with uh, the Apocalypse Now movie, uh, you're wanting to go see the new 4K, uh, a new director's cut edition of Apocalypse Now, but they were only showing it 40 miles away from you. Now, I get it. It's Apocalypse Now. It's a re-release. But there are other films that only plays 30 miles away from you at the River Oaks in downtown Houston, you know? 
So when you're looking at that, it might say, well, if you want to go see this movie at a movie theater, you have to go to River Oaks. Or you can pay $7.99 and watch it from the comfort of your home. Because it's a small little niche movie. And I honestly, honestly think those smaller films that in one large city maybe will only be released to three movie theaters, I think those films will make more money in the long run during its theatrical run. I mean, I think the same could go, uh, can be said with the Laurel and Hardy movie. Um, that movie came out, that movie was released, and then it went away relatively quick out here. So I can't even imagine how quick it was in and out of the theater in Houston. It would be nice to have that option for people that cannot drive clear across town to see these little niche movies. I know I would have loved it 10, 15 years ago or so. Sure. But I think depending on the setup and the streaming capability, I even think for those kind of Fathom Events kind of deals where it's the re-release, but it's in 4K, you're right. I don't necessarily always have the ability to drive 40 miles away to go see this event, which would be great. Oh, but not all of them are Fathom Events, though. It's like with the no, I'm just like I said, Fathom event style. I mean, oh, I know I it's not gotcha. specifically Fathom event, but yeah, um, you know, this Fathom event style kind of thing where it's re-release, it's a limited deal. But if I have a 4K setup at my house, well, then why wouldn't I want to try and see something like that? So yes, I would like to stream something like that. Why? Why? Why would I want to just pop in my Blu-ray? If the event is going to have, like, sometimes they have the Q&As after, uh, sometimes they have special footage and stuff, things that still make it unique to that viewing, well, then sure, I would like to be able to do that. So, I mean, I, absolutely, again, I, I really think it's going to be interesting and truly fascinating to see how they work it out. Um, so I guess we'll just have to be excited and see what happens. Sure. All right, well, as we continue our... Universal Invisible Man flicks. I think it's time we actually get down to the movies proper, correct? Correctamundo. All right, folks, here we go. It's the movie. Uh, this week we are covering the ever-increasing spectrum of Invisible Man universe flicks. I mean, you thought, and here you thought, the the MCU was the first person. No! I present to you the IMU, the Invisible Man universe, where there's an invisible woman now, and now we have secret agents and maniac revenge-seeking people and private eye investigative school graduates. And Nazis. <laughs> and Nazis! <laughs> and Peter Lorre as a Japanese man. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, and man, racism. Yeah. So much racism. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't even know where to start. All right, let's just do them in order. Obviously, we need to do them in order. So uh, we have 1942's Invisible Agent, uh, 1944's Invisible Man's Revenge, and then 1951's Abbott and Costello Meet the Invisible Man. So without further ado, let's talk about 1942's Invisible Agent. Invisible Agent. 
An invisible man. It's, it's amazing. Oh, you will be of great help to us. Who is this terrifying Phantom Commando? What is his amazing mission? See The Invisible Agent, suggested by H.G. Wells' Invisible Man, starring Ilona Massey and John Hall, with Peter Lorre, Sir Cedric Hardwick, J. Edward Bromberg, Albert Bosserman, in the most amazing story of our times. Stop! Now, don't let him get away. Achoo, Gazunta. Who is there? How did you know I was going to England? I didn't, but... So but the I... trap was all set, eh? Oh, Frank, how can you talk like that? Oh, oh. oh what's this? Uh, it's full of hooks. Uh, oh, they're tearing into me. Okay. What we have here is obviously 1942. This is an American science fiction film. Obviously, it's from Universal because these are all Universal movies. Um, I, I'm curious that if H.G. Wells was still alive at this point, if he would be um, pissed off about the continued use of his name. But I don't know. I guess maybe they kind of have to because it's it's the basis of the character completely comes from the original novel. And they keep, even in the most weirdest ways keep kind of loosely tying it back to maybe one original character from the novel or from the from the first movie. So I guess that's why they keep dropping his name. Um but yeah, this stuff gets crazier and crazier. This one is directed by Edwin L. Marin, uh stars Iona Massey and John Hall. What we have here is the original um the the original invisible man. Okay, so remember Jack Griffin from way back in the day, Dr. Griffin. He, his, his grandson is now running a print shop under an assumed name. Now, um, some, basically some spies working for uh, the Germans, the Axis powers, come in and they're like, hey, we figured out who you are. And you're going to tell us uh, what we want to know, or we're going to start amputating things. Um, so, uh, shenanigans ensue. Our friend, um, Frank Raymond is the name he goes by at the beginning of the movie, uh, escapes, gets in touch with the American authorities, and they're like, so you're going to give us this. <laughs> You're going to give us what we want. We're going to make life hard for you. But um, they don't go so far as to say they're going to amputate things, but it's pretty clear that everybody wants the formula. So his thing is like, fine, I'll help you. Um, but the deal is I am the only one who gets to be invisible. And under this guise, he is given a mission that he has to go and uh, make sure some contacts out in Germany or whatever I think it's Germany. And they do this without even vetting the guy. They're like, okay, here, yeah, we're going to let you take this serum and put you, throw you into this mission, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we, we know all about the Griffin family secret, but we didn't want to say anything all these years because we respected your <laughs> uh, cognito. And so he literally he gets out, uh, goes out to Germany where he has he's going to meet a secret mission. 
Um, and then of course he ends up having to meet up with some contacts and through the, oh, and by the way, folks, you may not have realized this, but the harnesses on parachutes back then in the, in World War II were actually just right enough that you could completely undress while you're parachuting. Um, much to the chagrin of your enemies, because even though there's this big, huge, rocking harness attached to a parachute, apparently if you're not wearing clothes, you can't get shot. Didn't know that, but now you do. Uh, so he meets up with uh, his future love interest. Shenanigans ensue. Will our guy, you know, will our invisible agent be able to help America defeat the Nazis. Of course, there's a third part of our triumvirate of uh, evil in this particular uh, aspect, depending on how you view the American government and their treatment of Raymond. Uh, the Japanese have their own tangent in this thing. So it's literally him against the Germans, who, and then by proxy against the Japanese, while trying to assist the English working for the Americans. Ooh, it's so complex. What will ever happen? How does it all work out? Tune in, I guess. Um, all right. Guys, I get what we're trying to do here, but Tim kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit last week. We're, we're getting to the bottom of the barrel of what the uses and interests would be for this concept of the invisible man. Um, you've got some interesting ideas at play, but the script is so poor that even the interesting ideas don't come across very well. Um, it's not a terrible, terrible movie by any stretch of the imagination, but they're definitely wearing the idea and the concept thin plot armor ceases to exist about halfway through this movie um so are there worse movies out there yes are there worse movies from the time out there yes um does that make this one good not quite two and a half stars what do you got there tim i tell you what the invisible man is really the only classic universal monster character that can kind of <laughs> that can kind of work in a movie like this even in hollywood movies the government wouldn't hire the wolfman or frankenstein and frankenstein's monster to infiltrate the nazis no but the invisible man the invisible agent actually works i enjoyed the movie and i actually thought the uh, the script was not half bad uh, the film, of course, was made, if you couldn't tell by by the American propaganda and, and all the shitting, chronic shitting upon the Nazis. The film was made seven months after the bombing of Pearl Harbor and thus, of course, America's entry into World War II. The film was written by Kurt Siodak, S-I-O-D-A-K, who also wrote the scripts for The Wolfman, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, House of Frankenstein... Earth versus the Flying Saucers. Uh, those, of course, we all covered in past episodes. Among other genre scripts he wrote, Kurt Siodak was also a German who fled from Germany uh, during the rise of the Nazi regime. 
the previous film in the Invisible Man series, of course, The Invisible Woman, was pretty much played for laughs. And with The Invisible Man Returns being more of a rom-com, one really wouldn't expect, especially now, that The Invisible Agent would return to the classic horror roots of the original Invisible Man film. But it is definitely an improvement over Invisible Woman. And the film does feature overtly silly moments for the sake of imposing comedy at the expense of the Nazi regime, such as when John Hall takes the serum while on the plane, jumps off the plane, and while parachuting down, he removes all his clothes so that when an empty parachute lands, the Nazi guards are perplexed and introduced <laughs> to the audience as incompetent dimwits. There are, however, some well-produced scenes that are tense and inspired, as well as dark and disturbing scenes featuring turns and full-on anti-German and Japanese propaganda. For example, Peter Lorre's character, the slimy evil Japanese guy who's really out to screw everybody over at the end, the movie does feature dialogue such as, quote, German thinking is the cleanest in the world, end quote. Quote, I can't tell you Japs apart, end quote. <laughs> I can't tell you Japs apart, of course, is said by, I believe, our hero, the invisible agent himself. So there are definitely some eyebrow-raising moments, especially watching it today in modern times. And I did mention that there are some really cool, well-produced, dark and disturbing, tense scenes in the film. It's not necessarily a horror movie, but it's war propaganda film. And they take real-life horror elements that these people that an audience have read about uh, watched in serials about how evil the Nazis were, they use that as a filmmaking tool, as a genre tool to build suspense and to build up the villain in the film, the Nazis and uh, and, 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 the, and the Japanese. Like when Peter Lorre is subtly making these notions of using this paper cutter, I think it was a paper cutter, to cut somebody's fingers off. There are actual depressingly dark scenes where somebody gets his hands broken, where the, not, where the Gestapo just crushes somebody's hands. You don't see it, but it is heavily implied by the, the German guy who's getting screwed over because he helped the invisible agent out. He was an informant. I mean, these were all tactics to expose the true enemy across the Atlantic Ocean and to boost morale in hopes to recruit American audiences to identify with the, uh, the American war effort. So there are a lot of elements at play here, but at the base of it, the film is actually well-meaning. It is still a technical marvel. I mean, there's a scene when he is in a bathtub. You know, he's taking a bath and he has his legs up and he's washing his legs. So there's water on his invisible legs. There's soap on his invisible legs. And I believe there's, I don't know if it's that same scene or not, but I think he's shaving. I could be completely wrong about the shaving part, but just seeing how 
they had to match those shots up to get the the mats correct and to align those shots completely to pull off the invisible effect that i mean it's amazing just seeing the progression of all the different tricks and how to fool the audience each time with these invisible man segments so it was just cool to see the invisible naked man in a bathtub seeing water splash on him so you see the water going over his body his leg but then you have the soap as well and the soap being washed off. It looks great now, better than some of the other technical achievements that were featured in the first Invisible Man movie, which came out 10 years prior. So whenever I watch movies like this, I have to take into consideration my note-taking and the number of question marks I included in those notes before I can actually rate the film. Unlike Invisible Woman, The Invisible Woman, I wasn't bothered by too much. Overall, the film is pretty odd. There's slapstick zaniness, scenes composed of violent material, but then there were some, again, well-made scenes and moments that really just kind of stick to you throughout the entire, entire film. I think that maybe the film would have been more effective if it was done straightforward, you know, without the comedic bits. Maybe with incorporating the propaganda material in not such an obvious way, but instead in a more serious, straightforward way. Yes, you still would have had these racist Japanese, evil German moments, of course. But I think the film would have been more perceived as being angry towards those who are in charge that are manifesting all the atrocities happening in you know during World War II overseas. You know, I just think the movie would be, even now, more accepted. We don't need the slapstick, but that's what the 1940s, you know, these genre films were known for in certain ways. I mean, they all can't be like The Innocents or Island of Lost Souls. 3.5 out of 5. You heard it, folks. Two and a half for me, three and a half for Tim. Check it out. Let us know. That moves us into 1944's The Invisible Man's Revenge. Which, again, yet another Universal Picture movie. This one actually directed by Ford Beebe. Um, and stars, again, John Hall. This time has John Carradine and Evelyn Ankers in it. Amongst other people like Leon Errol. Um... So what we have here is a guy by the name of Robert Griffin, who's just a no, no good, uh, just good for nothing, evil, crazy piece of crap, who manages to escape from the mental institution and track down some people he believes has wronged him. Uh, and they are these rather well-to-do people who uh, got into some diamond mine investing, um, you know, many moons ago. And so Griffin goes after him and he's like, hey, you screwed me over. And they're like, what do you mean? They're like, He's like, "I, you guys left me for dead and ran off with all our diamond money. And they're like, no, 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 we didn't know you were alive. Um, we were told you were dead. 
Oh, well then, I don't believe you, but you can make it up by giving me my money that you owe me. And they're like, we don't have the money anymore because bad investments. Well, then you can sign over your house and let me marry your kid. And these people are like, this guy is crazy. But we do kind of owe him. So let's see if we can drug him, take everything we've got from him, and then kick him out. So that's what they do. And in the process, they managed to get the only proof he had that they had screwed him over in the first place. Uh, which is the, the contract, the original contract that he had. So these people are now losing their credibility. Like maybe they did actually know that he was still alive and they tried to make off. Or maybe they were telling the truth up front, but they've also shown their true colors anyway by drugging this poor man, stealing his contract, and then kicking him out. Um, he gets rescued by this guy who was like, oh my gosh, what a wonderful thing. And he goes to try and blackmail these people, but the people call the police. And then, you know, shenanigans ensue. Um, and Robert Griffin goes on a rampage to make his perceived slights right once again. Um... And that's, and you know, Shenanigans Sue movie goes on and it ends. Um, again, this is another movie that has some really, really cool ideas. I actually like that even though it's basically completely removed from anything that we know about the Invisible Man up to now, um, they've used a lot of the original elements in new ways. Uh, they use the madness in a new way, so it's not about the serum anymore. Um, they've used the experimentation aspect of it. They've used kind of the fun and whimsy of it, especially in the darts game. Uh, that's actually probably, in this movie I felt, is probably the cleverest use of the being invisible. But again, you can have some really good ideas and really good themes, but I'm sorry, um... You know, I disagreed with Tim uh, in the um, execution of the script in the previous movie. I don't know if we'll disagree again here, but I just don't feel like it's cutting it anymore. It's not that great. I mean, it's, it's again, though, it's not terrible. It's just not good either. So despite some really, really, really good ideas, the movie still lands at a two and a half for me. It just was not executed very well, and I don't even feel like it was acted all that well. Um, so, pretty weak story. I'm sorry, pretty weak script. Interesting story, interesting elements. Not the best acting. Two and a half, again. What do you got there, Tim? So, what's interesting about The Invisible Man's Revenge is that it's not a direct sequel. Uh, it definitely takes a different tone maybe not necessarily a different tone because all three of these movies or four of these movies now all have a different tone really but this one is more of a dramatic revenge film an angry revenge film really than anything else uh, for the first time we are seeing the invisible man as really the bad guy that you really don't want to root for whatsoever. So I think that in itself is very interesting and definitely sets its part aside from all the other films. Again, I said this was the fourth film 
It's actually the fifth film of the series. This is the fourth sequel. But really what the movie has going for it are its special effects. There's that scene where he's flipping the knife. Awesome. That's a special effect that relies heavily on the sound effects as well. Both of those have to sync up to really pull off the idea that the Invisible Man is flipping a knife around in circles and catching it. Uh, you have another powder on, on the face scene, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting, where he throws powder on his face to give his face a shape or a form. But then you have the British provincials. You know, the characters that these movies like to poke fun at because of their overly British, high-pitched, cowardice voices that they are given in this film. Or they are very boisterous and over-the-top angry and like to pick fights with people, you know. Uh, this film definitely plays a little bit more with that stuff. I mean, more so than the first film where you had the nagging innkeeper's wife. But overall, it wasn't boring. It wasn't great. I liked how they were going for the darker, angrier uh, revenge thriller where the Invisible Man is really the villain. You know, you, you don't want to see him. There's really no redeeming qualities, even when it comes to his relationship with the lady. Then that's really all that this movie has got going for it. I give it a two and a half out of five as well. Catch me watching on a good day. It could be, you know, a little bit better than a 2.5. So, I, I don't know. Ch check it out for yourself and let us know what you think. All right. Well, then that leaves us with Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man. Now, don't give me that invisible stuff again. Honest. And there were footsteps with no feet. And a grip that was unpacking itself. All right, boys, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> They're private eyes, they are. And they're tickled to death, as you may be, that their first job is a murder case. Only a man they can't see is driving them to distraction. I said pull over to the... A blonde is trying to booby-trap them. And the syndicate is trying to set them up for a quick one-two. <laughs> Buddy, you know I'm no fighter. Oh, what's the difference? Look, watch this. My uncle is worried, too, about the... About the effect of the drug on my mind? Invisibility gives me a sense of power, for good or for evil. Neither of you get a chance to tell the cops anything. Well, look, pal, let's talk this thing over. Let's go. Which, of course, is the 1951 American horror comedy film. This one is actually directed by Charles Lamont. Uh, naturally, it... Uh, Stars Bud Abbott, Lou Costello also has Nancy Guild, uh, Arthur Franz, along with um, people like William Frawley and uh, Paul Maxey. Now, um, oh yeah, and Adele Jurgen, um, lots of really great character actors and actresses of the day. And what we have here is uh, Lou and Bud. Um, Francis and Alexander in the film, not exactly, you know, Costello and Abbott. Now, they've just graduated from private detective school. Yes, because that's a great thing. And, and I mean, not for nothing, but Bud gets to wear a deerstalker hat now. Um, basically, their first case is a boxer who's been framed for killing his manager. 
Well, how, why, why is it that they run across this guy in time to get this case? Well, it's because he's escaped from the police to <laughs> find a private detective. Um, and so they're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll get on the case. Um, so Tommy, the boxer, uh, decides that he needs to get a hold of the serum after he finds out about it that will help make him invisible so that he can help prove his innocence. Um, he does do this. His girlfriend wants to help as well. They convince um, Abbott and Costello to go down the the case, but you know they're like uh, they they don't really want to make him invisible because it could make him go crazy. Remember that's what happened to the first guy. Blah 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 blah. Shenanigans ensue. Uh, we've got boxing being fixed. And fights being thrown and people being killed and framed. And will poor Bud and Lou be able to figure it out? Or will they too go down for the count? Pun intended. Um, Alright. This is a pretty decent Abbott and Costello flick. I don't think it's as good as when they, you know, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. But it's still a pretty good one because even though the vast majority of these gags, I guess you could say, are tried and true at this point, they're played for laughs, as we've seen before, a la Invisible Woman, but you've got a really good comedic duo with which to play the laughs off of. And I think it just, by sheer virtue of these maestros of comedy they're able to work with the material in a better way. That being said, it's still like the sixth time you've seen these gags, the majority of these gags at this point. And so it does wear a little bit thin. I think that if you're to watch this movie on its own, you will probably get more enjoyment out of it versus trying to watch it as part of a series like we've done. But even bearing all of that in, um, and the age of the Invisible Man as a cinematic tie, uh, because it'd be almost 20 years at this point, given that the first one was in 1933. I still think this is a very likable movie. So, I mean, it comes in at a very solid three. I liked it. I would enjoy it. Um, definitely one to have the fam sit around and watch, especially if you're introducing them to uh, Abbott and Costello. This is actually a pretty good one because while it is, you know, scary and, you know, invisible man or what have you, um, it's not as heavy handed as even meet Frankenstein. And because it's a solid entry, but weaker on the scale of the Abbott and Costello films, it's a good one to introduce people to and then give them, get them into the really good Abbott and Costello movies from there. So definitely a three. You know, if you haven't, check it out. It's at least worth doing that. And bring us home, Tim. I really like the little things in this movie, like Costello's reactions with the smelling salt. Him sm- sniffing the smelling salt makes his hat fly up and that pop noise happen. You know, I-, I thought that was pretty interesting. And even Costello mispronouncing certain words like, this guy needs a psychiatrist instead of a psychiatrist. There's a lot of like little tiny touches throughout the film that made me, well, a couple times it made me chuckle pretty, pretty good. But other times it was kind of a snicker. 
what is impressing with the film are the special effects. You have the Invisible Man dealing cards, uh, eating spaghetti, the Invisible Man helping Costello uh, win a boxing match. You know, so all that stuff is pretty impressive. Oh, and there's one other thing I wanted to mention, technical moment to mention, is when the Invisible Man is wearing a bathrobe. Okay, so you see the bathrobe which we've seen in many of the other Invisible Man films where you don't see the head, you don't see the legs, you just see the bathrobe being worn. Then Costello throws a sheet over him, over the Invisible Man, and you're able to see, right when the sheet lands on him, you're able to see the outline of the head. And what's even better is that you don't see any of the fix-ups of any of the special effects. I talked briefly about the opaque dye that they would use to fix some of the blurry matte shots where stuff just wouldn't align properly. And so they had had to go in and put this opaque dye to hide some of the outlines of body parts, you know, that are supposed to be invisible. Well, this film, you don't see any of that. Like, I don't know if maybe I saw a great rest. Well, no, if there was a restoration, they just would have cleaned up the film. They wouldn't have redone any of the effects. So, but like, you don't see any of the outline, the shadowing effect of the invisible body parts. So whenever he throws the sheet on the invisible man and you see the outline of the head, it's pretty incredible. Like, it's awesome now. And that says something. As for, again, the comedy bits, there's not that many to really flesh out the story. You know, they're peppered here and there. And when they're funny, they're very funny. But there's just not enough. And I loved Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. <laughs> because there are so many little bits between Abbott and Costello and all of the monsters and creatures in that film. In this movie you're kind of left wondering why the hell they just didn't do a classic Invisible Man storyline. Why they had to go the boxing mobster route. But again, because of its technical achievements and the genuine laughs, despite there not being as many as I would like, I do give the film a 3 out of 5. It's just enjoyable entertainment. We at least agreed on two out of three of the movies, so that's 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 good. I'll take that. That's a that's a good that's a good day for us. <laughs> uh, next week, uh, we've got a kind of a fun way of uh, bringing this series of films to an end. Invisible Man movies, if you will, to an end. Um, I'm going to talk about. I'm going to be talking about 1992's Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Um, Tim is going to be talking about Hollow Man. Now, it's not that he hasn't seen one and I haven't seen the other, but it's just a way that we could kind of see some movies we wanted to kind of focus on and zero in on and have a little fun with it. Um, so I'm going to do 1992's Memoirs of an Invisible Man. And that, of course, is the one with Chevy Chase and Daryl Hannah. Uh, Hollow Man, of course, is the one with Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth Shue from the year 2000. Uh, and then we've got a trio of movies beyond that. Invisible Avenger from 1958, The Amazing Transparent Man from 1960, and The Unseen from 2016. Tim is going to do one of those three. I am going to do one of the other of those three. And that third one, is not going to get done. We don't know which ones we're doing yet. <laughs> but if you'd like to play along at home, you're more than welcome to watch them all and then 
Maybe you could tell us what you thought of the one we didn't cover. So that's what we've got going on for next week. And then, of course, we'll be busting into um, our Halloween episodes proper. And so without further ado, I guess it's time for the spiel, is it not, sir? Spiel on. You set them up and I'll knock them back, Lloyd. One by one. White man's burden, Lloyd, my man. White man's burden. Say, Lloyd, it seems I'm temporarily light. <laughs> How's my credit in this joint, anyway? Your credit's fine, Mr. Torrance. That's swell. I like you, Lloyd. I always liked you. You were always the best of them. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. Thank you for saying so. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at NitTwit12345. And, of course, come aboard the information superhighway track down to him on Twitter, if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and our favorite on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down on the old Spotify and Google Play and other cut podcast directories if you'd like to support the show please head on over to patreon.com and check us out there and of course as always this is matt saying that thanks to bud abbott i get to say this you never heard of a comedy team that didn't fight did you take care cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week madam perhaps we should be going oh well, monsieur thank you so much so nice to see you and I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>